Hey there, Patronian misfits. This is Kate. And I'm Kale. Welcome to Horrorwood. Patreon style. <laughs> I know. That's, it. That's it. I wanted to put something in there. <laughs> Patronians, this one is just for you. It's exciting. Um, well, this this case is not exciting. It's actually pretty horrific, but it's exciting to talk to you. Always and forever. Always and forever. Before I get into it, though, I do want to mention um, to our listeners, maybe you got an email. Um, you now have your own RSS feed for our Patreon episodes, which means you can listen to them wherever you normally get your podcast. Although you have have I no. Well, it's a it's an RSS link that they should get okay. into in an email. Okay. Um, oh, you know what? I was like, why is it getting quieter and quieter when I'm turning the volume up? Because I was turning it down. Hold on a second. I was like, I can't hear shit. All right. But unfortunately, I don't think Spotify supports those feeds from Patreon, which sucks because that's where the majority of our listeners tune in. Gotcha. But yeah, you should have gotten a link in your email. If not, let us know. And of course, you can always find your content on our Patreon. So you have options. That was me snapping. I don't know. Did you hear that? I no. heard it. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. Maybe, yeah. maybe they did too. I don't know. Uh, so I found a great article by Bill Jensen about this case in Los Angeles Magazine. And I'm going to link the article because it was a great source and had a lot of detail that other sources did not. Okay. So here we go. Get right into it. Yeah, we're going, we're diving in. Love There's it. no bullshit. It's just like, <laughs> boom, here we are. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and it's rough. Uh, September 26, 2012 was a Wednesday. Late that morning, police responded to a 911 call in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. When officers arrived on the scene, they found the body of actor Johnny Lewis in the middle of the driveway the body of his 81-year-old landlady, Catherine Davis, on the floor of her bedroom, and the body of Catherine's cat in the shower. So two humans and an animal. Correct. That's rough. This is a gruesome and horrific case. But before we get into the details of the crime, let's talk about actor Johnny Lewis a former regular on the show's Sons of Anarchy and the ex-boyfriend of pop star Katy Perry. Oh, I I didn't recognize the name and I've mm-hmm. never seen Sunny, Sons of Anarchy. Well, mm-hmm. I haven't yet. Maybe maybe that'll be my next venture. Who knows? Um, so I was like trying to rack brain. Do I know him? Do I, and you know who I was thinking of? And who? that was not right. Uh, Sex and Sit Smith, Jared. But is his name? It's, it's like John Lewis, right? Oh, I don't know what that actor's name is, actually. Okay. I know you're talking um, about, but it's not him. Okay, right. But I think if you, like, when you see a picture of him, I think you'll recognize, recognize him. Okay. Especially, like, if you look up pictures of him with Katy Perry, because I do remember that couple. And then I, I've seen some of the stuff that he's done. So I was like, oh, yeah, he was that guy. Mm-hmm. So I recognize his face at least. I would think so. 
Got it. Are you Jason looking? Lewis. Yeah. It's Jason, Jason Lewis, Lewis was on Sex That's and the City. It. That's it. I will see then what Johnny Lewis looks like. And I, I bet, you know what is weird is I feel like I would know if I saw a picture of him with Katy Perry. If- look him look him up right now. Get on the Goog so that you can have an idea. Yeah. Let's do it. The stories are good, but it's always good sometimes to have the face. Yeah. You need, you want the face with the name. And just having just having that image while, you know, we hear about tragedies and what oh do you recognize him yeah i totally do i remember he had the scarf maybe okay oh wow okay so now you have the image yeah all right thank you Jonathan Kendrick Lewis was born in Los Angeles on October 29th, 1983, to his parents, Michael and Devana. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. It's D-I-V-O-N-A. So I think it's Devana. Right? Yeah. He was the middle child. He had an older sister and a younger brother. He was a Scorpio, which is a water sign. And water signs tend to be artistic, sentimental. Scorpios are also thought to be sensitive and empathetic hardworking and self-confident, but also intense. So just an interesting note about Scorpios there. (laughs) Though raised in a Jewish-oriented household, he was born into Scientology. I actually had to look this up because I thought if you were a Scientologist, you couldn't observe other religions. But I read that Scientology does not require its members to abandon other religions. Instead, they believe this will come naturally as the member becomes more deeply involved in Scientology. That you would maybe drop other religions? Right. Okay. Both of Johnny's parents are Scientologists and have actually reached the highest level that you can be, which like is a called... a diocese or something? I mean, that's Catholic, but that's what I know. It's I don't called, know. Um, it's called an operating thetan, and it's it's the highest you can go in the church. So whatever that means, so, so I'll find like a pope. <laughs> I don't think it's quite like that because okay. that's the the sort of like David Miscavige kind of character. Yeah. Um, but when I do my research for the Scientology episodes, I'll know exactly what an operating thetan is. Wow. Spoiler alert. There are going to yeah. be Scientology <laughs> episodes. There's a lot of Hollywood people in um, that observe Scientology. Oh, yeah. So oh, it makes sense yeah. that we would kind of, you know, go a little deeper on that route. During Johnny's career, he starred in some Scientology training films and was a sponsor of the highly controversial Scientology drug rehabilitation group called Narconon. What? Narconon basically touts that it can cure drug addiction by spending an excessive amount of time in a sauna, claiming you'll just sweat out any drugs in your system. And... They use high dosages of niacin on their patients. Before they go into the sauna? I don't know if it's before. Okay. Because I love a sauna. <laughs> They're in the sauna a lot. I can tell you that. Sauna me up. But I'm not sure I want to observe this religion. I do Just not. personal preference. <laughs> and by high dosages of niacin, I mean 25,000% of their recommended daily value. I feel like we're doing shark fin again, or what? What was the shark fin? Like, um, oh, Simon Monjack. Everything yeah. comes back to Simon Monjack. 
actually ever since those episodes it really has i like somehow i read it's on the brain it's on the brain yep yeah his his shark fin treatments to cure his non-existent cancer exactly thank you for thank you for acknowledging that and just letting me go there uh once again in an episode (laughs) um it should be noted that the Narcanon beliefs are not based in any scientific fact, nor do they have the support of actual medical professionals. I'm sure that is shocking to all, <laughs> but that's what it is. And m- medical professionals basically regard Narcanon as a load of shit. The Church of Scientology does allow the use of antibiotics, but all other drugs, specifically recreational drugs or drugs prescribed by a psychiatrist, are strictly forbidden. So this includes common medications often prescribed for mental health purposes to treat anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, sleep disorders, among other conditions. Part of the reason that the church forbids treating those disorders like a mental health disorder is because Mm -hmm. they believe the church will cure you. Okay. Yep. That's just going to leave that right there. Mm -hmm. So they really, there's no reason rhyme or reason that they would ever get medical professional help. If they are physically ill, the church of Scientology says that they can see a doctor for antibiotics but if it has to do with mental health or anything oh, along those categories. lines, yes, yeah, they okay. do not believe and they actually forbid you to seek treatment for that. So I looked at a list of the forbidden drugs and I was like, oh, immediately I'm out because I was like, yep, I take that. I take that. <laughs> it's like that's my that helps me sleep. That's my anxiety medicine. It's like, yeah, I would not last in the Church of Scientology. Once Johnny reached his early 20s, he left the church, and I couldn't find if he gave a reason why anywhere suffice to say that he was out. Johnny started his acting career as a kid. His mom, Devana, began taking him on auditions when he was just six years old. He landed his first professional acting gig at the age of seven. It was an escalator safety video featuring a rapping raccoon cat man, question mark? Which was actually just a grown-ass man dressed in what looks like a secondhand Ronald McDonald outfit. I looked it up. It's the thing of nightmares, but also iconic. I'm going to post a pic on our Instagram story. going to have to. Oh, yeah. Because if I have to live the rest of my life with that image, so do you. So you're welcome. Wonderful. After his escalator safety gig, Johnny started booking commercials and eventually began landing small roles in TV shows. Can you hear my dog? I thought I was like, is that the Frankie? That is. Is that the The Frank? It's the one and only Frankie. Um, Yeah, she's she's alone right now. Uh, So sorry if you heard that on there. Uh, Once he turned 18, he moved out of his parents' home in Sherman Oaks and settled in Hollywood. And he began getting more and more acting work. He worked on shows like Seventh Heaven, Malcolm in the Middle, Judging Amy, Yes, Dear, Boston Public. Wait, I heard you say Seventh Heaven. Seventh heaven. That seems like a direct opposition to Scientology, but what do I know? 
Yes? No? I'm confused. It is interesting. It is interesting. I hadn't even thought about that, but now I'm like, yeah, that's weird. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt the the, the spiel of like all the gigs he had. No, but... no, it's fine. Because he had not left the church yet at the time that he was in that. So that is interesting. He was in all of those shows before even turning the age of 20. Then he acted in a few episodes of Drake and Josh. He did the movie Raise Your Voice with Hilary Duff, along with parts in several other shows, plays, and some indie projects. But it was his recurring role as Dennis Chili Childress on The O.C. that turned him into a teen heartthrob. I watched The O.C., but who? Dennis. He was on during the during 2005 and 2006. He did like nine episodes. Oh. And he, I think he really went by Chili was kind of more of his character's name. Uh, okay, I do remember a chilly character. Yeah. That, that made no sense, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Josh Schwartz, a producer on The O.C., stated that Johnny was a very sweet, nice, and talented guy. It was around the same time in 2005 that he started dating Katy Perry, who was just starting out in the music business. So this was before I kissed a girl hot and cold. Yeah. Like, she didn't have any hits yet. And I, I saw the picture of the two of them, and they just look, like, really youthful and young. Not that Babies. she doesn't or they wouldn't now, but I'm just saying, like, it was very evident that that was of young age. Yeah. Her look has definitely matured, shall mm-hmm. we say. Mm-hmm. So, as I mentioned earlier, Johnny appeared on The O.C. from 2005 to 2006, and afterwards, offers began pouring in. His relationship with Katie, though, ended in 2006. And although it was short, it sounds like it was pretty intense. It's rumored that Katie's songs, The One That Got Away and Circle the Drain, are partly about Johnny. Circle the Drain is interesting because it's about addiction. And I've read conflicting reports about his drug use or lack thereof, which we'll get into later. Okay. Interesting. A friend of Katie stated when they were stated that when they were together, Katie could tell that Johnny was headed down a troubled path. The friend said Katie had to separate from him to get ahead and focus on her career. He was in trouble and she could not help him. Mm. But this friend did not go into further detail about what kind of trouble that was. Fair. Johnny followed up his gig on The O.C. with roles in shows like CSI, Bones, Shark, along with a couple of movies. And in 2008, he landed the role he became most known for, Kip Halfsack Epps, on the series Sons of Anarchy. Was that like that was obviously a recurring role? Yes. Okay. One of Johnny's best friends, Doug Usher, said he was incredibly talented. He said he was loved by everybody. He merged with different groups really easily, and he fit in everywhere. And when you're young and talented and successful in Hollywood, it can be easy to fall into some bad habits because you have access to pretty much whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But according to Johnny's friends, that's what made him different because he was not a partier. He was described as being more likely to drink tea and play chess than drink alcohol and do drugs. His true loves were poetry and philosophy. That's adorable. And also, I wanted to state who I who he reminds me of as like an who? older person. Um, the kid who plays the drums on Love Actually. Like, this guy's got some oh, good hair. you know what? 
I could He's see that. that little and 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 so I just thought him as a little drummer boy. But you were, I mean, you were saying poetry and um, drinking tea and 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 playing chess. And for some reason, it just brought up that vision to me. It would be nice if that was who he remained. Even with all his success as an actor, Johnny really saw himself as a writer. He was constantly writing poems, screenplays. He kept journals, and he was even working on a couple of novels. So wow. one day, yeah, he he had a lot going on. So one day he's getting some new headshots taken and he strikes up a conversation with a photographer. He's just chatting about writing and you can tell he's really passionate about it. And the photographer says, oh, you should check out the writer's villa. The writer's villa was an artist retreat, kind of like an extended stay bed and breakfast in L.A. Oh. It was a 3,500 square foot house located at 3605 Lowry, Lowry Road in the Los Feliz neighborhood. This was a stunning home. It's essentially a mansion with what is described as majestic. Bless you. Sorry. At least it wasn't right into the microphone. I into it, yeah. It wasn't, I kind of felt it coming on, so I moved my face. You were able to turn your head, and that was appreciated. <laughs> um, the... The house had majestic views of the San Gabriel Mountains, but it also had a really homey feel to it. Lots of dark wood, heavy, rustic, antique furniture, exposed wood beams. The floors were made of handcrafted Mexican terracotta tile. The walls were all painted in warm hues of reds and yellows and cream colors. And right in the center of the house was a staircase that led up to the five guest bedrooms. When I was reading the description of this house, it made me think of the chalets that my family stays in when we go to the Smoky Mountains. We've been like oh. twice, but that's like where my family goes to vacation uh, in, you know, once every 10 years. <laughs> just that like dark wood, the mm -hmm. warm colors, you've got the mountains. So I just see this as being like a nice little peaceful retreat. So Johnny tells the photographer, thanks for the tip. The writer's villa sounds awesome. I'll definitely check it out. So in April of 2009, Johnny contacts the owner, Catherine Davis, or as her tenants referred to her, Miss Kathy. Oh, it's adorable. I do really love that. Kathy was from Texas originally and had moved to California in 1950. She went to UCLA and worked in publishing and eventually married and gave... Okay, the way I worded this sentence was kind of... Eventually married and gave way? Or gave what? Gave... She eventually got married and gave birth to a daughter. Oh. Her daughter is Margaret Leslie Davis, who's a prolific writer. You can look her up. After the birth of their child, Kathy and her husband purchased the home at 3605 Lowry Road in Las Feliz. By the 1980s, Kathy and her husband had divorced, and their daughter, their daughter Margaret, was a grown adult at this point. She's off doing her own thing. So Kathy was like, I'm going to start a new career and get into real estate. And so she did, and she became really successful at it. Oh, wow. Yeah. She got the house and the divorce. So she's living in this huge home all alone and starts allowing her real estate clients to stay there while they were house hunting. I cannot imagine any real estate agent doing yeah. that today. No. I'm actually surprised it happened back then. I mean, this was the 80s. That evolved into her home becoming a retreat for up and coming performers, directors and writers. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Some of the people that stayed in the villa as they were getting their careers off the ground 
were Matt Bomer, Val Kilmer, wow, Parker Posey, Chris Parnell. Okay. A lot of big names. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Also comedian Paula Poundstone. Everyone loved Miss Kathy. I think I love her. You know, when you see a picture of her, you're going to fall in love with her. She was described as a good-natured, lively woman with short gray hair and a sparkling wit. Paula Poundstone recalled Kathy's kindness. She said that one day she was waiting on a cab to take her to Burbank Airport, but the cab never showed, and she starts freaking out. So Kathy's trying to talk her down, trying to calm her, and wrote down driving directions for her. But Paula just looked overwhelmed, and she starts stammering, and Kathy was like, why don't I just drive you myself? Darling, you know, she's in this, she must be in the same, like, love category for me as Judy Scholl, Art Scholl's wife. Oh, like, yeah. Th- I could just that. have this, yeah, this presence it, it feels like, or this light or air about them. Mm-hmm. Just very nurturing. Kathy mm-hmm. was always there for her tenants with open arms. If one of them bombed at an audition or, a, or like a meeting didn't go well, she would whip up some homemade tamales and be like, it's all going to be okay. Let's talk about it. I am jonesing for a tamale right now. That sounds delicious. She's kind of like a surrogate mom to people because, you know, a lot of them are transplants. They're far from their homes and their families. Yeah, yeah. The writer's villa was a coveted place to stay. Kathy had such a great reputation and there were only a handful of rooms for people to stay in. So word of mouth was the main way people found out about it. Actor Taylor Negron said it was filled with successful people who were very ambitious. Everybody worked their ass off to get there and they had to keep working their ass off. So when Johnny Lewis heard about the place from the photographer and contacted Miss Kathy, he was so excited. He moved into the red suite of the home and immediately liked it there and liked Miss Kathy. Friends remember Johnny having nothing but nice things to say about her, and he thought it was so cool that she opened her home to all these artists, which is what makes what he does later so unfathomable. Oh, no. That same year, 2009, Johnny grew unhappy with his character's storyline on Sons of Anarchy. According to his father, Johnny didn't like the show's gratuitous violence and didn't want to communicate that as an artist. So Johnny goes to Kurt Sutter, the creator of the show, and asks to be let out of his contract. So at the end of season two, Johnny's character was killed off. Johnny never returned to TV after that. He did a couple of movies here and there, but what he really wanted to focus on was completing his first novel. Okay. Yeah, it was about a young musical genius making his way in San Francisco. Love it. And he had all his money saved up from Sons of Anarchy. So, like, he kind of did have a cushion where he could get away with not taking jobs right away. In the summer of that same year, so 2009, Johnny learned that his girlfriend, fellow actor Diane Gaeta, was pregnant. And he was really Mm. excited. However, the relationship between Diane and Johnny didn't last. They had already broken up by the time their daughter was born the following April in 2010. But they decided to get an apartment together for the sake of the baby so they could raise her together. Okay. Mm, All right. That sometimes works. Mm, Well, this time it did not. Probably. (laughs) So Johnny moved out. The two became involved in a long custody battle, which Johnny lost. In 2010 and 2011, he was in a few movies. He did The Runaways with Kristen Stewart and Dakota Fanning. Uh, He also did movies called Lovely Molly and Magic Valley. So this is a couple of years before his death. 
Yes. Okay. But in October of 2011, Johnny was involved in a serious accident when he lost control of his motorcycle. He went to the hospital and was checked for a concussion, but the test came back negative. So the doctor was like, you're free to go. Go ahead and go. Yeah. Yeah. But shortly after the accident, Johnny's dad noticed a big change in his son's behavior, describing it as erratic and bizarre. Hmm. So he scheduled an MRI on two separate occasions, but Johnny refused to go to either of them. Johnny's friends noticed a change in him, too. That December, two months after the accident, Johnny was in an acting class and just randomly started speaking in a British accent. Like not, not, it wasn't warranted. It wasn't asked for him to do that in the No, class. it wasn't like part he of his character or anything. Character, he just yeah. started speaking in a British accident, accent, <laughs> accent for no reason. So his friend, actor Jonathan Tucker, was like, dude, I'm confused. What's with the British accent? And he said Johnny just shrugged it off. Like, mm. so I have what, I don't know if it was on 2020 or if it was on, I don't know, something. But I have watched some kind of program that talked about how somebody had a, maybe it was a brain injury or, or um, lost consciousness or something. And then, you know, maybe had amnesia or whatnot, or like mm-hmm. randomly started talking in accents or like all of a sudden knew how to play the piano or. Right, right. So I have heard of this. I don't know what the term is for this. Yeah, I've heard of that too. But we don't think this is what that was. Well, we don't really know. Okay. All right. So now we're getting into 2012, which is when Johnny Johnny starts unraveling pretty quickly. On January 3rd, Johnny was hanging out at his parents' condo. He was living with them at the time. So he's in his pajamas watching his mom make breakfast. And all of a sudden he says, I'm going to go out for a walk. So as he's walking by the neighboring condo unit in his pajamas, mind you, he heard what he thought were sounds of distress coming from inside. So he broke in, but there was no one there. But then two men show up at the home and are like, um, dude, you need to get the fuck out. But rather than leaving, Johnny took a glass bottle and hit each of them on the head with it. A huge fight broke out. And according to Johnny's dad, the two men hit him in the head 17 times. Oh, shit. Like like with a blunt object or... I think they were just punching him. I don't think punching. they used the okay. weapon. I think they were okay. punching him. Whoa. Police were called and Johnny was charged with trespassing, burglary, and assault with a deadly weapon. He claimed he was acting in self-defense. No, sir. You refused um, to leave when the man asked you to, and then you started attacking them with a bottle. I, so there's that. I'm, I'm, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to co-sign on that. No, sir. No, sir. <laughs> During his first few days in jail, he was found pounding his head against the concrete and attempted to jump from the second story pier, which caused him to be placed in the psychiatric ward as a 5150, Mm -hmm. which is the code for involuntary confinement. Yes. He spent three days there. And when he was released on bail, his discharge summary read chief complaint, blunt head trauma and suicidal. Mm -hmm. Question. At any time, did they test his body for drugs? It's interesting that you should say that. Hmm. So the whole drug use thing. With the Narconon. <laughs> well, w- just in, in his life. Oh, okay. It's okay. very interesting because different people say different things. Ah, I see. So one report I saw said that he 
that his break-in was a drug-fueled incident. That's my imagination went there. I will be honest. Right. My imagination went there. It just sounded very um I mean it uh, it's a, erratic. It's a logical and, conclusion to draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other reports say that he did not have anything in his system when he broke in. Hmm. So it's interesting. Uh, so after he was released, he goes back to his parents' condo and he is in bad shape. He looked like shit. He didn't want anyone to touch him or get near him. And he was also extremely sensitive to light. And he would go around turning off all the lights in the house until finally he just disabled the fuse box. Was he on medication, any psychiatrics? Or, like, I obviously, his parents are still Scientologists at this time. Well, they are the highest, mm-hmm. whatever. So probably no medication. I just realized that. You're asking all the right questions. Okay. And that's what's so interesting about this. So he was eventually prescribed medication. According to his father, they encouraged it. However, mm-hmm. Johnny never took the medicines. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit here in a minute. Okay. Shortly after his stay in jail, he did attempt suicide again by slashing his wrists. Mm-hmm. So his family and friends were keeping a close eye on him. Yeah. But by the end of January, his dad said Johnny seemed more stable. So he let him live on his own in Santa Monica. It seems a little soon. It's literally within the same month that all of this has occurred. But I'm not blaming. I'm not in that situation. Sure. Just feel soon. Who knows the how he was presenting himself? Right. And maybe yeah. he just miraculously looked and sounded like he was of the mind that needed to go live on his own. I don't know. Possibly. Johnny did not stay out of trouble, though, as his loved ones had hoped. On February 10th, he walked up to a random man outside of a yogurt shop and punched him in the face, and the man fell unconscious. Just out of nowhere, yogurt shop, see somebody, bam, the guy's on the floor unconscious. He was arrested but released on bail. Then a few days later, he went down to the beach and walked fully clothed into the ocean and had to be hospitalized for hypothermia. I mean, to me, these are loud cries of help but for sure I guess you know if you believe in certain things maybe it just they didn't hear it even with everything I read I've read his autopsy report Mm -hmm. I've read so many articles I've read a lot of statements from his dad I still don't think we have the full story and I'm not sure we ever will Mm -hmm. there are some interesting things in here so on February 18th he was arrested again For trying to break into a woman's apartment. He claimed he thought it was his friend's place. Once again, he was released on bail. And the bail, who's paying for the bail? Is it his parents out of his money that he earned from his all the I think it's from, uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's from his income and or his parents. Yeah. I do know that his parents did pay a total of 60000 for court costs and his SAG dues and other things because he was not able to pay that at the time because they did eventually sue his estate. And that's a whole thing. I'm not even going to get into all of that, but I do know that they did pay for a lot. So this is a lot that has happened in a matter of just six weeks. Oh, it's six weeks. I was trying to, I actually was trying to do that in my head. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, we're we're at a month now. We're yeah. Six weeks was a shorter time period than I even put in my mind. It happened fast. 
He's been arrested three times. He's done a stay in a psych ward. He's been hospitalized. A lot of red flags here. So doctors did end up prescribing him Zyprexa and Abilify, which are both used to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. But he wouldn't take them. He would pretend to take them by hiding them in his mouth and acting like he was swallowing, and then he would spit them out. out. Mm -hmm. So he was maybe in some sort of denial, possibly. Possibly. Or resistance of this these meds that could have helped him. and Possibly. I mean, again, not an expert, mm-hmm. um, but I do deal with a lot of different things and yeah. a, a therapeutic setting, right? And kind of my mind just went straight. And I obviously I know um, I know eligibility categories for schools, which is different than the medical world, but I have to be privy to that as well. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I've had to read a lot about things. Um, I, my mind went straight to schizophrenia and bipolar, but again, can't label a person because I w- am not their doctor. So yeah, it's, it's really, this one's tough because it's hard to know exactly the why of everything. Mm -hmm. So by this time he had left the church of Scientology, but they did forbid any kind of psychiatric treatment. So I don't know if that persuaded him to avoid his medication or what. Just I don't maybe know growing up with in, it, right? And and yeah. like having that mindset or whatnot. Because he was born into it. His parents are still in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that caused some kind of confliction, probably yes, or something. Yes. Hard to know. His dad said that Johnny never got a clear diagnosis. He wasn't sure if Johnny did have bipolar disorder or if he was suffering from psychosis or if he suffered a traumatic brain injury Mm -hmm. from the motorcycle accident. I've thought, I will say I've thought those things too. And I've also thought about, there's um, another um, something out there, uh, like, um, I don't know if they would call it a disease or something that affects your brain and you don't realize you're making such choices sometimes and sometimes it Mm -hmm. can come out in violence. Um, Yeah. Yeah, a, a guy I went to high school, his um, dad had this and it was so sad and, and scary and like, because they just didn't understand the why again. It's like yeah. the why and like the, you realize that the brain is doing it and it's not that, it's like the person you know is not necessarily who they're exhibiting and right. Yeah. And so th- there can be so many things and that's what I'm just. Yeah, the brain is so. I feel like we should list as many things as possible because we just don't know. You just don't know. And the symptoms for all those conditions can be very similar. Sensitivity Mm -hmm. to light, visual and auditory hallucinations. Remember, he thought he heard someone in distress in that condo and no one was there. Aggressive behavior, self-harm, incoherent speech. He began speaking in a British accent with Mm -hmm. no explanation. So it's hard to pinpoint. And, you know, he refused MRIs. So it's just it's really hard to to know. Mm -hmm. His friend, Jonathan Tucker, the one I mentioned from the acting class, picked Johnny up to take him to one of his many court appearances, and he said it was like Johnny had become another person entirely. He was no longer the guy who loved poetry and a cup of tea. Jonathan said, quote, he had a look I've only seen in disturbed veterans of war. Oh, yeah. He said Johnny's memory seemed scattered, and he would go from having a simple quote-unquote normal conversation to being completely incoherent. Johnny ended up serving jail time for a couple of months that spring in relation to his charges, but his family felt that he would be better off in a treatment center instead of behind bars. So his lawyer started working to try to get Johnny transferred. 
However, a fellow inmate of Johnny's, Tim Woodhead, who became one of his friends while they were incarcerated, said Johnny didn't seem to have a drug abuse problem. Tim said, quote, I did a lot of drug seeking in that place. There were a lot of opportunities that he turned down multiple times. Uh Yeah, it's weird. But Johnny's lawyer was able to convince the court to transfer him, at least temporarily, so he could get help. Mm -hmm. So on May 23rd, 2012, he was sent to Ridgeview Ranch, which is a facility that treats residents for psychosis and substance abuse. He was looking at a year in jail, but his lawyer was trying to work a deal to let Johnny stay in the rehab center for a year rather than have to go back behind bars, claiming that Johnny was addicted to marijuana and would be better served in the treatment facility. Hmm. Johnny sent an email to his friends about this, which I'm going to read. He says, The core of the story is that I was involved in a fight. My actions were self-defense, but my means were a glass bottle. After a few court dates, a stint in county jail, and the realization that there is no self-defense law in California, I'm back on my feet and doing well. The court case is still ongoing, but from what we're hearing, it has every good chance of getting dropped outright or disappearing with time served. P.S. On a side note, we are pleading rehab to avoid trial. And then in parentheses, he wrote, addicted to marijuana. What a trip. So to me, that sounds like he's saying, yeah, I'm not addicted to marijuana. That's what they're going to try to say. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's what that sounds like to me. Like, like, like he, yeah, it does. It does sound like he's trying to um, almost undermine it or something like that where. Yeah. He's just like, what a trip. Can you believe it? Like, That's the vibe I get from that. Hmm. However, Johnny's fellow residents at Ridgeview who were drug addicts, along with Johnny's counselors there, weren't buying that he was addicted to marijuana. They were like, yeah, no, we don't see any evidence that he has a drug abuse problem. And this is coming from counselors there. Mm -hmm. Over the next few weeks, Johnny's mental health seemed to be improving. In July, he wrote in his journal, felt more whole today, more complete like parts of myself had been stolen in my sleep and scattered all over the world, and now they've begun to return. I'm more determined than ever now. I'll face what I am. I'll face what I was. I mean, that sounds like... Sounds like like things are turning around. Yeah. Johnny was convinced that his case would be dropped. He felt the court would see he had acted in self-defense in regards to the fight involving the glass bottle. And that with the time he had already served behind bars and at the treatment facility, he'd maybe have to do a few more days in jail, if that, and then he'd be free. So he fired his attorney and acted on his own defense. Wow. Never a good idea. Nah, not so much. Nah. (laughs) And the judge sentenced him to a year in jail. However, he only spent six weeks there before being released due to overcrowding. And on Friday, September 21st, he was a free man. He checked into a hotel for the weekend, and that Sunday, his dad picked him up. They went shopping so Johnny could get some new clothes, and then they drove out to the valley to pick up his motorcycle. I mean, I have to have it handed to his parents. It sounds like they're supportive and, like— It does. Yeah. And I did read um, a statement from the uh, from Johnny's former attorney that said that his parents really did try everything. 
Johnny asked his dad to call Miss Kathy at the writer's villa to see if there was a space available. That seemed like the best option. It was a place that offered quiet and peace. Johnny was familiar with it. He liked it there. Mm -hmm. Kathy would give him lots of love and nurturing. So this seemed like just the place he needed to start fresh and get back on his feet. And Kathy said, yes, I will make sure his old room is ready for him when he gets here. Because he had a sense of motivation and she has a very soft, beautiful heart. Mm -hmm. What Johnny's dad did not tell Kathy was all the legal troubles he'd been in recently and the mental health problems he seemed to be having. He said it just didn't occur to him to mention it. Oh, uh, okay. Not, I'm not here to judge. <laughs> and I'm not sure it would have made a difference if he had right. mentioned it. She, she might have still accepted yeah, him into the home. But it does seem like important information a landlady would want to know about her tenant. You might want to know that, yeah. So that's just my thought on that. On Monday, September 24th, Johnny moved back into his old room at the villa. On Tuesday, his dad called to check in on him. And when Johnny answered, he was extremely agitated. And he just said, I'm busy. What do you want? So after a minute or so, he calms down a little and he told his dad they'd just talk later. That was the last time Michael Lewis ever talked to his son. The next morning, Wednesday, September 26th, Dan Blackburn was at home with his wife, Gloria. They lived in a neighboring house that overlooked the villa, and they were having some work done on their house that day. They had a house painter over who was working on their deck. Okay. Around 10 a.m., Dan happened to look out his living room window and noticed a guy pacing back and forth at the corner of the street. Because it's daylight. It's Yeah, it's the morning. Yeah, it's the morning. This was Johnny Lewis, and Dan felt like something wasn't quite right. Johnny did not have a shirt on, just jeans and a pair of red shoes, and his chest was covered with sweat, which, fine, it's L.A., it's hot, maybe you don't want, you know, your shirt on and you're sweaty. I did look up the weather because I always do, and it was 70 degrees. (laughs) Love that about you. He paced back and forth for about 15 minutes. Then Johnny walked up to Dan's house and rang the bell. So Dan opens the door And Johnny just looks at him and says, hi, I'm John, your new neighbor. Sorry, did Johnny do that because he could see him? Or is that what we're thinking? Like, he just randomly did that? It sounds like it was random, but I do wonder if he I don't know. I feel like he might have noticed him. At least in a movie you would, right? That's a possibility. Anyway. (laughs) And Dan said, nice to meet you, John. And the two of them stood there in the doorway just staring at each other. And then Johnny abruptly turned away and left. Huh. How creepy would that be oh. if you saw a man pacing back and forth for 15 minutes outside your house and then he just stares at you in your doorway and then just leaves? That's a that's a no thank you act of um, I'm closing the door now. I mean, first off, I wouldn't even answer the door because I Probably never not. answer the door. I don't answer the door or the phone. That's hello. I don't do that. <laughs> But it's, yeah, it's so weird. So Dan's just like, well, that was odd. But since Johnny had left, he just went back to his day. He never could have guessed what What would occur just minutes later. After leaving Dan's doorstep, Johnny went back to the villa and went up the stairs to Kathy's bedroom. And for reasons we'll never know, began beating her. Oh, my God. 
he punched her several times, then strangled her with his bare hands. This was a brutal attack. Her body was found on the floor next to her bed. And this is this is going to get rough and graphic, so just hold on. Her entire skull was fractured, and the left side of her face was completely obliterated, leaving her brain exposed. Oh, Miss Kathy, this is awful. Her nose was split down the middle, and her upper jaw was split open. He also had apparently stabbed her in the face four times with presumably a mechanical pencil. And they determined this from the size of the puncture wounds and the fact that there was a mechanical pencil lying next to her. That is gruesome. What the This f- was overkill. There was yeah. blood everywhere. Her bed frame, her walls, table, chair. Her face was also covered in blood and brain and tissue matter were found on the floor around her. Did... Were there um, fingerprint evidence? I mean, uh, clearly, okay, we know who, who, but was did they do a full investigation of like fingerprints and like? There was an investigation. I don't believe anyone else was home at the time, okay. um, and they have no reason to believe that anything else. Yeah. Right. Her official cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. head. Investigators said the force of the beatings were so severe, they believe he stomped on her skull. <gasps> okay, first of all, I saw a picture of him. He kind of looks like lanky and, and he's, yeah, he's very like a, wiry. Wiry and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, <sighs> this next part has to do with an animal. And if you're sensitive to that, mm-hmm. I suggest you skip ahead about 15 seconds. Going to give you a second to do that. Okay. Kathy's cat was found dead in the shower of the bathroom that was attached to Johnny's room. It was covered in blood and its skull had been bashed in. After Johnny committed these acts, he immediately went outside back to Dan Blackburn's house. (gasps) What? And began attacking the painter that was working on the deck. So he was, I mean, he didn't even try to, like, cleanse himself or anything. I mean, no, he just went straight. No, he, this was all in a matter of minutes. Damn. I was not prepared for that part, like, mm-hmm. or expecting it. I honestly thought, like, this is it. He's done his, yeah. No, he is on a rampage. Jeez. Johnny jumped on the painter and began beating him. And the guy's face was covered with blood and it's splattering onto Johnny. Oh my God. That's how violent this was. Ugh. Dan, who was in his 70s, tried to intervene. And so he grabs Johnny no. by the shoulder and is like, stop, stop. Johnny immediately jumps up mm-hmm. and punches Dan in the eye, knocking him to the ground. Dan, however, manages to get back up. And punches Johnny in his temple. And he said Johnny didn't even flinch. He just stood there expressionless. He said his eyes were sort of glazed over like he didn't even feel the punch. See, that to me makes me think that there was some sort of drugs involved. Well, we're going to talk about it. All right. Dan then somehow managed in the middle of all this to grab a chair from the deck and hit Johnny with it. 
which did stun him long enough to allow Dan, his wife Gloria, and the painter to run inside. But just as they tried to close the front door, Johnny stuck his arm through the opening. Oh, I can envision this, and it's really scary. The three of them pushed their full weight against the door, slamming it four times before Johnny eventually pulled his arm away. It was like he was just numb. He wasn't feeling anything. He Mm -hmm. was just numb. Dan watched from the window as Johnny then jumped over his fence, then the fence surrounding the villa, disappearing from sight. Dan said he was like a low-key Spider-Man the way he moved. Wow. Neighbors had heard a woman screaming several minutes earlier, this was during the attack on Kathy, and called the police. When they arrived, they found the body of Johnny Lewis on the driveway face up. His left eye socket was completely caved in. His skull was cracked in half and smashed on the left side. Investigators believed after he left Dan's house, he had jumped over the fence, climbed either to the upper patio or roof, which was about 15 feet above the driveway, and either fell or jumped. He died instantly. When so, investigators... Sorry, quick question. Mm-hmm. So do, do you think that he was, like, obviously he was trying to get away, but I, in his mind, he was trying to get away and didn't force, obviously foresee like this uh, fall. And, mm-hmm. and so do, do we perceive that he was going to go somewhere and hurt himself after these violent acts? Or, I mean, was he just trying to get away with it? Or what, like, what do you think? Like my, I, my comment or question, I guess. I will tell you what I think in a bit. Okay. Okay. Um, that's an excellent question. And we are going to get into it. Great. When investigators went inside the home, they said the first floor was pristine. No signs of any struggle, nothing out of place. But when they went up to the stairs, there was a bunch of broken glass outside Johnny's room. And I couldn't find in any source where this glass came from or why it might have been there. When they entered Johnny's room, they found a rusty hammer with blood on it. They couldn't determine at the time if he had used this weapon on Kathy, and I couldn't find in any source if they ever tested it to determine the blood type that was found on it. But I have my theory, which I'll talk about in a minute. Investigators then walked into the attached bathroom where they found the cat. In trying to determine a motive, they couldn't really come up with one. But there was a rumor among Johnny's friends that he had disabled the fuse box the night before and Kathy had confronted him about it that Wednesday morning, which sent him into a rage. That's a rumor. We don't know mm. if that's what happened. And like, why Why would he have disabled the fuse box? Well, remember, he was sensitive to light. Oh, that's right. And he the disabled light, the, the fuse light. box mm-hmm. at his parents' house. That's right. Gosh, there's so much that happened that I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Investigators believe after he killed Kathy, he went after the cat then went to the neighbors attacking the painter, Mm -hmm. then fell or jumped from the roof. What I think possibly happened is perhaps he was feeling a sensitivity to light. Maybe he did disable the fuse box. Maybe he didn't. We don't know. Also, the work being done next door could have been noisy. Noisy. Mm -hmm. The work happening at Dan's place on the deck. I think whatever it was that was agitating him built up that he went 
inside the villa and took his aggression out on the cat first. Mm, I, okay. That theory. Again, see. those who are sensitive to animal cruelty should skip ahead about 30 seconds here. And I'll give you a second to do that. Okay. I think he must have seen the cat first and it set him off. Mm -hmm. Maybe Kathy had chastised him about turning off the fuse box if that's in fact what he did and he wanted to get back at her. Who knows? I think he possibly broke a glass bottle onto the cat. Mm. I'm not sure. That's the only explanation I can come up with for the glass. Unless Kathy had used something on Johnny in self-defense. Yes. That's what I wondered too. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also thought like maybe he just actually didn't like the cat the whole time and and there was this animosity towards the cat and so he took it out on the cat first it's possible yeah we don't don't know know. i think and again if you're sensitive to this keep skipping ahead i think johnny used the hammer on the cat the cat was beaten to the point where its skull was bashed (sighs) in and i think kathy caught him And began screaming, Mm -hmm. which is when the neighbors heard her screams. Because based on her injuries, it sounds like she would have been rendered unable to scream during her attack. And she was 81 years old. She's being brutally beaten and strangled. So I think she screamed when she saw what he was doing to her cat. And when he was done, he went after her. Johnny's autopsy noted nail marks on either side of his neck and that he had suffered partial strangulation. I think these marks were caused by Kathy trying to get him away from her cat and or in her own self-defense. Defense. Well, I was just trying to picture that. So it's possible that um, there were strangulation would have happened obviously before his fall or before he got to the uh, neighbor's house or Dan's house. Well, it could have happened at the neighbor's house. We don't know. Oh, okay. Okay. But based on what I read about the attack at the neighbor's house, I mean, it's possible that the painter could have gotten his hands around him, but I'm not it seemed Positive. like that came out of nowhere as too. Like he just went. Yeah, it was suddenly the guy was like, what the hell is happening? So <laughs> I think, you know, it could have been Kathy or Kathy could have, you know, hit him with something glass that shattered. We mm-hmm. will never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my thought that she saw what he was doing to her cat. And that's when he turned and came after her. I'm going to link his autopsy report because if you're like me, your that kind of thing interests you so Mm -hmm. investigators were quick to believe that johnny was under the influence of some type of drugs at the time of the killings police commander andrew smith said being under the influence is something we are looking at based on his behavior and based on what people have told us about his past so that indicates that people have mentioned he's abused drugs in the past Mm mm-hmm Johnny's attorney said, I don't think he acknowledged he struggled with drugs. He felt that he was fine. I know he self-treated, but I don't know if he was an addict. It's certainly a possibility. Hmm. A toxicology report would determine exactly what, but they speculated possibly a drug known as bath salts, which had been involved in a number of attacks around the country at that time. They also threw out the possibility of a drug called smiles, which had been linked to several suicides. It took two months for the toxicology results to come back, which showed that Johnny had taken, are you ready for it? Yeah. 
absolutely nothing. Not a single drug, not a drop of alcohol. And his death was not ruled a suicide. It was ruled accidental. Accidental. Yeah, there's only, right, three categories for uh, uh, death? Five. Oh, five? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's accidental, yeah, it's like accidental natural, suicide, homicide, natural. And undetermined. And undetermined. Okay. Well, you learn something new every day. They found no evidence that he had attempted to kill himself in this instance, despite his previous attempts. They believed, and I do too, after he went to the neighbor's house and began attacking the painter when he left, he jumped over their fence, Mm -hmm. then jumped over a wrought iron fence from the terrace of the villa, trying to flee the scene, but lost his balance and fell to his death. Oh. Reactions were split upon hearing the news of his death. To some, it came as a complete surprise. And to others, it seems they kind of expected something like this would happen. Kurt Sutter, Johnny's boss on Sons of Anarchy, posted, It was a tragic end for an extremely talented guy who unfortunately had lost his way. I wish I could say that I was shocked by the events last night, but I was not. Oof. It's, I mean, there is some kind kindness in that statement, but at the same time... Knowing that he wasn't shocked is mm-hmm. it that that's a kicker. I I don't mm. uh, question because mm-hmm. I have so many of them. I like it. <laughs> Did Katy Perry um, put any statements out? Anything by her rep? She did not come forth herself, but a friend spoke on her behalf, stating that ah. she was devastated. Um, But she did not publicly make a comment. Got it. Another source stated, I'm shocked by this. He was always pretty quiet. The only times I saw him angry is with regards to his character on the show, meaning Sons of Anarchy. Mm -hmm. I know at the end he got really annoyed with the storyline. He felt like his character was becoming a weekly joke and he didn't like it. And that was all that this source saw as a potential point of anger for him. Mm. Johnny's former attorney said, I thought the worst that would happen to him would be something dumb, like walking onto someone's property. What is alleged of him is so out of the ordinary. No one could have envisioned that. So it's just interesting, the different people in his life, how they saw the end of his life. Those that were surprised and those who were not at all surprised. His parents struggled to accept the facts of what happened on September 26. In the article from Los Angeles Magazine that I mentioned at the beginning, Johnny's dad gave the following statement. My wife and I do not believe the allegations. He was a peaceful person. I keep expecting a phone call from him asking me to pick him up from the airport, that he's sorry for what he put us through and that it was all just an acting exercise to get him ready for some thriller movie where everyone thinks he's dead, but he really isn't. I mean, it does give me those scream, like, you know, the the gruesomeness of it all. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, it happened in real life and it it's really and it hard. And it happened to, so suddenly and su- yes, such personal attacks. I mean, to to do that with your bare hands, that is personal and this was a woman who he claimed to adore i adore her and i didn't even know her so unfortunately i think kathy and her cat get lost when it comes to this case because it's important to remember them miss kathy who was beloved by all who knew her her sweet cat it's 
it is very tragic and horrific and it had lasting effects on so many people. I mean, so many people were affected by this. Um, mm. And that is the case of Johnny Lewis. Girl, that that's some disgusting shit. I'm sorry. It was rough. I, it was rough. It was rough. And, but, and, I, <laughs> uh, conjunctions. Is that, are, those are conjunctions. Right? Oh my God, I'm a teacher. I should know this. <laughs> I got all, um, I got all, I'm all um, flustered. Flustered. Yeah. Is that yeah, the word? Jesus Lord. I'm trying to die. I'm trying to like, I, I still feel honestly that I hate, I, I don't like saying this. Hate's a strong word, but I still feel as, as if this is almost like a made up story. I, that's, it does I don't know how to explain this. So like, like fantastical, like, yeah, I, I don't want to say made up because real people were involved and it's tragic. And I just want to like, I just want to hold Miss Kathy. Like I imagine mm-hmm. her as this little thing. She's just so, so precious. Look, darling. Like, she I, just looks like someone you want to hang out with. You want to talk to. She's got your back. Yeah. And that's what she was trying to do for him. <sighs> and I, just, I, but I do think like, I mean, there are steps along the way where it's just like, I feel like they needed someone else to intervene with him taking his anti antipsychotic yeah. medicines. Yeah. And I think that's the right term for it. And, you know, someone should have told Kathy about what troubles he had been in before she yeah. accepted him back into her home. And especially if that, no one else that, was there yeah. at the time. That I, that I fully agree with. I mean, you don't know. That's, that's what's terrifying about uh, many cases that we've covered about these kinds of, um, traumatic endings mm-hmm. is that one it's like you could have would have should have you just don't right. know like hindsight you look hindsight, back yes all the things mm-hmm. so I just keep thinking about that I reflect about that and I think about that I'm like oh my god like or just mere seconds of something or you know yeah I do think the motorcycle accident was the I think he must have had something like going some on mentally injury. prior mm-hmm. yes okay maybe some you know struggled with mental health prior because there were reports like from Katy Perry and everything saying you know she couldn't help him anymore and that was back right. in 2006 so I think maybe he had something underlying but given how he was raised and you know his involvement with the church I don't think he sought help for it. And it, it, even though his parents say that they did everything they could and they tried to get him help, I, I don't know. I don't I, I don't know any further than that. I don't know what their means were to do that. You know, who knows? Yeah. Um, and then I think the motorcycle accident might have like set something off because it did seem that after that, it just unraveled so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that he ever did drugs. I, that is kind of bewildering, but after all is said and done, and I've listened to this, and maybe, maybe this is one that I'll listen to like again, like you mm-hmm. know, I don't like listening to my voice, but I try, I try, I do try to like listen because I do gain things. I will say the Brittany Murphy one, I have listened to a couple of times because I found it just so, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. you know, something yeah. that I want to like just understand, and and I feel like doing that, ju- doing her justice from that, but. um what's weird is like the unraveling of this is like, yeah. Then, and you're, and I, I mean, the whole time I was like, was there, there's gotta be like, were the, you know, um, 
I don't know. Like I'm speechless. I'm like, can't think of a, think of a good like thought process behind this, but. Cause you, cause you want to have like a reason you want to say, oh, this right. is why that happened. But it's, you can't pinpoint that in this case because he didn't have any drugs in his system. He was not on drugs and right. everyone, the media, the police, the, his family, his lawyer, everyone immediately said, oh, I think he probably took some drugs. He's got a problem with drugs. Like that was everyone's thought. But the counselors at his treatment facility did not think he abused drugs. He didn't take drugs that day. And in none of in any of the other um, legal cases he was involved with, like the break-ins and all that, mm-hmm. drugs were not involved. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. Maybe that's part of the problem. He needed some of those prescription drugs to help stabilize him and and he wasn't taking those either. So maybe that's something I we don't know. Yeah, I I definitely think this is one that I need I'm going to listen to again mm-hmm. to kind of go down this path. And then I might even like try to look up and I don't know why this is the this is one that I'm really, really intrigued. I'm intrigued by all of them, let's be honest, because I realize like I learned so much um that I didn't mm-hmm. know. But for some reason, and I think honestly, I'm thinking it's channeling my um like psychology background yeah, um, and just kind of like what I do and my profession. And it's like, where's I, the help? It's, you know, I, right. It's, I always think of Mr. Rogers, right. And like, look for the helpers. And, and I feel like Miss Kathy was a, a helper. She, she was and a I, helper. Uh, just, yeah. But I mean, she wasn't a therapist and true, true. he was not he in was, therapy mm-hmm. and should have been. Yeah, it's a tough one. But we want to know what you think, Patronians. Uh, yeah, leave definitely. us your thoughts in the comments. Please do. And to to lighten it all up, I am going to post the raccoon cat man on, on our Instagram you. story. I need this in my life, even though I don't. No one does, but everyone does. Um, you can actually watch that entire escalator safety video if you really want to. It's online. I'm not going to link it, but oh my God, it's wild. The picture, I think, will be enough to satisfy you. Great. And we love you for supporting us. And we will um, keep pumping out content for you. 